Um, please turn in your own Bibles to Mark 14. And you can uh, follow along on the screen as well if you'd like. <coughs> Hear the word of God from Mark 14. We're going to do verses 1 through 9. <coughs> it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And wherever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This is the word of the Lord. Sorry here. So once again, I apologize for those who are not used to seeing me in shorts and t-shirts, uh, shorts and t-shirt preaching here on Sunday morning. Um, actually, I even apologize. I'm excited that I get to preach in shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> We get to have baptism today, and I get to be in the water. So I'm excited about it. There's no apology. Actually, forget the word. I'm sorry. I'm excited. The preaching shorts and a t-shirt. How amazing is it, though, that as we dive into this book of Mark, as we've been through this encounters with Jesus, we see encounter after encounter, and we see life change after life change, and we get to celebrate that today. So exciting. Such an exciting time. It's a full Sunday. Very full Sunday. In this passage, we see this incredible story of a woman pouring expensive ointment over Jesus. I want to tell you about another woman to start off with, though. There was a woman who grew up in a loving Christian family, lived in Europe. Like most young girls, dreamed about her future. But she was so in love with Jesus that she wanted to commit her life to the service of God. She was in the Catholic Church, so she knew that one way to do that was to become a nun. So she dreamed about becoming a nun and the future plans God had for her. She also, though, dreamed about having a family, having, a, having children. Um, in her mind, she dreamed about both things almost equally. Becoming a nun and serving God, and, and then also about having a family and serving God in that way. In her teen years, she kept on praying and praying about it, but then one day decided, just felt like in her heart, one day that she knew that she was going to be a nun and go out and serve. Years later, she became incredibly well-known throughout the world. In the midst of all this attention, Someone asked her why she chose the path she did. What pushed her from one direction rather than another at a time in her life? Why did she become a nun rather than a wife? Because she was equally desiring to be both. She gave this really surprisingly unspiritual answer. She says, I became a nun because I was ugly. I thought that no man would ever want me for his wife. Can you imagine that? Here is a girl who was a young woman decides to become a nun because she thought of herself as ugly. You might have guessed this, this nun, her name is Mother Teresa, as you, you might have 
a guess and assume that's who, this is who she became. She spent many years working as a teacher in India. She saw poverty and her heart was broken by it. She saw people dying in the gutters in Calcutta, unloved and unwanted. And she began a ministry caring for these dying people, sharing love, sharing the presence of Jesus with them. Throughout her work, thousands were impacted. Thousands were impacted by her care and her love and her sharing of the gospel. Stories of her life were incredible about this small woman who loved Jesus so much and loved the destitute of the world so much that it impacted their lives. Out of what she perceived as ugly, she built a life of beautiful service to God. Years later, Malcolm Muggeridge, a well-known British journalist, wrote an account of her life and her ministry. He called it something beautiful for God. The girl who thought she was too ugly to get married had done something so beautiful of her life with God. And I truly believe Muggeridge actually thought of this passage in Mark when he came up with that title. She's doing something beautiful for me. At the center of this story is this comment that, that Jesus makes when Mary anoints him. He describes it as a beautiful thing. Before we walk through this passage of Mark chapter 14, I just want you to think about this. Stop and ask yourself this question. What would that mean to you to hear Jesus say, something you are doing is a beautiful thing? What would that mean to you for him to look at your life and say, that is a beautiful thing you're doing with your life? Isn't that what you would want your life to be? Something beautiful for Jesus. Let's walk through this story. In this passage, and we'll have the passage up on the screen, in this passage, Jesus is in Bethany, a town just outside of Jerusalem. He's in the last few days of his life, and there's a banquet, a dinner, a feast, a time of gathering held in his honor. The banquet is being held at a guy named Simon the leper's home. Now, Simon the leper, because of leprosy at this time, they would, probably wouldn't be able to go to his home. They wouldn't be servants and guests at his home. So he probably was somebody who's already been healed of leprosy. There are some who even say that this is actually one of the, the, the guy that Jesus healed earlier of leprosy. Not sure if that's the case or not. But this is a guy who's had leprosy and is now healed of it. And they're at Simon the leper's home. And he and the other are at this meal and they're reclining on the couches. If you guys know that at the meals in this time, they weren't like sitting in formal dining tables. They weren't sitting at least, they're more like kind of like on the floor on a mat kind of thing, kind of reclining like, like this. So they're reclining at the table and they're eating. And while this meal is going on, a woman comes into the room. She goes to Jesus and begins to anoint him with perfume. Now here's the deal. This is kind of something that I find very fascinating with me, for me. Is that in the middle of the story, you have this woman bursting into the scene and pouring expensive perfume onto Jesus. Now the name of the guy whose house they were at, Simon the Leper, is very clearly stated. But the woman's name is not stated here in Mark. Right? It just says the woman. Many opportunities were given. He could have easily said, what's the name of this woman? But not stated. Why? Why would this woman's name not be stated? Jesus says later that this woman, what she did will be mentioned wherever the gospel is preached. He's esteeming this woman. He's saying wherever the gospel is preached, we will talk about this woman. Yet Mark still chose not to name her. Now in, in a parallel story, the parallel version of this telling, John actually names this woman as Mary. But Mark was very intentional not to name her. And you have to see that as intentional because you see the naming of the owner of the house. You see the naming in John. So why was Mark intentional about not naming her? 
I believe it was for two reasons, really simply. One, I believe is one because it's not a focus on the woman, it's focusing on the faith. The center point of this story is not who this woman was. Let's, let's esteem her. Yes, esteem her, but esteem her faith. Two, because I, wanted, I think Mark wanted to know that it could be any woman. Because he was esteeming women in general. See, guys, this is a big deal. This, in this culture, a woman doesn't burst into men reclining eating together. He was esteeming all women. And by not naming her, he was also esteeming the fact that what was important was faith. Not her identity. And that all women could do what she did. All women could pour oil onto Jesus. All women could lovingly worship him. This is an esteeming of women that was not known in this time. So we're told a few things about the perfume and the scene. The perfume here is called pure nard. Nard was expensive. In fact, in the comments we learned, it said 300 denarii, which kind of roughly translates now to a year's wages. And part of the reason that this was so expensive, this perfume came from India, kind of the highlands of the Himalayan mountains. So shipping it, travel, was so expensive. So we're talking somewhere roughly in the neighborhood, what we comprehend now, probably about $50,000 for perfume. A lot of perfume. But $50,000. How is it that someone of seemingly modest means would have such an extravagance? I mean, the only people who would have extravagance like that were like the emperor. The ones of high office, the, the, the lords and the, the, the noblemen of the time. This was not such a person. So how is one, we don't know the answer to that, but what we do know is that she has it. And no doubt it was probably the most valuable thing she owned. And as a matter of fact, it may have been worth more than everything that she else owned put together. I remember talking to my wife one day, we're talking about if we had a fire in our house, you know, other than our children, what, what would we obviously save first? What, what would we get? And I remember thinking about it, I'm like, I don't have anything. Like, I was like, well, well, I don't even know what I would get first. And Gina was like, you get the pictures, duh. I'm like, ah, cloud, we, we don't need the pictures, you know? And I'm like, then she was like, I, I just try to think about it, but like, I was trying to combine all my stuff, and, and I'm, I'm not to say, it's not to say like I'm a minimalist at all in any way, I'm just saying, I don't really have anything of value. Like, I was trying to think, what's, do I have an heirloom? And I don't have any family heirlooms, I don't have anything. This was probably for her, something that was a family heirloom, most likely. Something that was passed on at some point, somebody in her family worked so hard and had something so valuable that was given to her, and this was probably her whole inheritance. This is all she had. This was everything. And what did she do with something that was worth everything that she had combined? Something that was worth $50,000, something that was worth more, maybe it was a family heirloom passed down, and that was all she had. What does she do with it? But she pours it onto Jesus. Guys, I want you to get this. Not only does she pour it onto Jesus, it literally says, the scripture says, she breaks the jar. That language is one that kind of really connotes this idea of she literally spontaneously just broke out. I was going to maybe, maybe she came in thinking, I'm going to pour a little bit on Jesus. I'm going to give him my, his, my most expensive gift. And I'm going to pour a little bit on, on Jesus. But in the middle of that, she was so overwhelmed, she was so overcome, that she literally broke the jar into spontaneous worship. She literally broke everything that she had, because in sight of Jesus, in light of this situation, in light of being before him and seeing him, she said, everything I have, all of it. She broke the jar. Easily could have just poured out a little bit. Easily just poured a couple drops. She broke the jar. She held nothing back. She gave everything. 
And when she does this extravagant act, the people, they attack her and criticize her behavior. They're like, what are you doing? And honestly, don't we think the same thing? Wouldn't we be like, seriously, like, you could work your whole life and you wouldn't have enough money to buy that. You're just pouring all of it out? Couldn't you just give a little bit? And they criticize her. What about the poor? Jesus stops them and says, leave her alone. She has done something beautiful to me. Isn't it interesting that Jesus chooses the word beautiful? And I love that. Jesus could have said, oh, she did a good thing. She did a fine thing. It's acceptable that she did this. But he doesn't say that. He says, she did something beautiful. Beautiful. Now, I want you to hear this. What would motivate a person to do this? Why would she do this? Why this gesture? What could possibly motivate somebody to act like this, to go so far? There was no way to get the perfume back, no way to get the money back. She poured it all out. It was gone. She could have done something less dramatic. She could have done something a little cheaper. What motivates a person to go this far? Now, on a side note, I do want to dive into this one topic. Jesus says something here. He says, the poor you'll always have with you, right? And one thing you could easily say and look at her gift and say, you could easily have given that to the poor. And I agree. That's something that's in my heart. I'm like, what does that go to the poor? And Jesus says something. He says, the poor you'll always have with you, I won't always be here. Isn't that a weird statement? I, I mean, I think a lot of us, most of us, especially here at Waypoint Church, you guys are all about helping people, right? You guys are passionate about helping people. You guys love giving to the poor and helping those around us. We are. We are passionate people. Even culturally, generationally, this millennial generation, they're all about helping the poor. They're all about helping people, making a difference, impacting the community. And that is a beautiful thing. It is a right thing. As a matter of fact, the Bible affirms that over and over. Help the widow. Help the poor. Help the orphan. Over and over again. But Jesus in this statement is making a big statement. See, the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself, but before the Bible says that, what does it say? It says love God. What Jesus is proclaiming here by this statement, he's saying it is right for her to honor me, to display this faith, because he is God. And what the world needs more than help for the poor is they need an understanding of who God is. What the world needs more, get this, it says she's preparing me for my burial. Burial? Burial. I can't say that word. What the world needed more than that money to be spent on the poor is the poor needed Jesus' death. I'll say that again. What the world and the poor needed more than food and the help financially was Jesus being prepared for burial. It needed Jesus' death. Guys, can I tell you this? There are, in this world and in this society right now, there are so many amazing and loving agencies out there that are helping the poor, helping the feed. But there, guys, I want you to hear this. What it needs more, what the world needs more than food and more than money, more than sustenance and more than shelter, is to see the death of Jesus and the resurrection of him. It needs Jesus more. It needs the gospel more. Do you guys hear that? Does that make sense? Now, I say that very, very plainly like this, though, because I want you to hear the, the heart of Judas, because in one of the other Gospels, it mentions Judas being the one who says this. The heart of Judas in this wasn't really like, because I care about the poor. 
It was more like, I like to skim some money off the top, you know? That could have been some more money in my pocket. Guys, I want you to hear this. We are to care just as much about the poor as God called us, but first we're to care for the gospel and the gospel message. Guys, as a church, we're not called to be a church of social justice. We're supposed to be a church of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and justice comes from the advancement of his kingdom. Can you hear that? We are intentional. We lift up the name of Jesus here. Yes, we help the poor. Well, yes, we serve our community. But it's, we believe that the best means of doing that is by sharing the name of Jesus and by advancing his kingdom. And when that happens, man, justice comes. Mercy flows. And the poor celebrate. And the captives are set free. And the orphaned have a father. This spontaneous act of mercy comes and we look at the heart of what drove Mary to this display of love and we see this incredible extravagance. Guys, I want you to hear this. Mary did this. It was called a beautiful thing. Elsewhere in the Bible, though, there comes a man, very rich young ruler, and he comes forward and he says, Jesus, what must I do? And Jesus looks at him and says, why, sell everything. And the rich young ruler says, I can't do that. Everything? Um, I'm very sad now. I'm going to walk away. But then comes another man, comes Zacchaeus. You guys know Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus? Wee little man, right? Yeah. Everybody knows that song? There comes the story of Zacchaeus, and he comes, and he says, Jesus, I'm going to give half of everything I have away. And Jesus says, salvation has come to your house today. Only half. Where he says to the rich young ruler, all, he says Zacchaeus, half. And then comes the story of a widow who comes forward and offers two coppers. In other words, one penny. And Jesus says, that is beautiful. That is a good thing. What do all these things have in common that that the rich young ruler didn't? What does the widow and Zacchaeus and Mary have in common that was missing in the rich young ruler? See, what what this passage is teaching us, that it isn't about the mountain that you give. It's about the sacrificial faith behind the gift. It's about the heart passionately in love with Jesus. It's about doing what is beautiful, which is an action driven by sacrificial faith. What is beautiful is not the two coppers. What is beautiful is not the alabaster. It's nard, it's perfume, but who cares? It's just perfume. What's beautiful is not giving away half, not giving away all. What is beautiful is the heart that moves and drives a person to their action. That's what's beautiful. So I'm going to give you five thoughts on doing something beautiful. Number one, doing something beautiful for Jesus begins with us understanding all of what Jesus has done for us. Feeling you get in this story is this woman is how much her action seems to flow out of a full heart. You get this feeling that she knows Jesus. You know, you don't, maybe it's because she is Mary that we hear in John. In fact, you get this feeling that she's so overwhelmed. And if, you, if she's married, the, the sister of Lazarus, what you see in that, in that instance is that she, her brother was raised from the dead by Jesus. You also see an instance where she's reclining at the feet of Jesus, listening to all his teachings. You see, to do something beautiful, Jesus begins with us understanding who Jesus is. And for her, what that meant was she saw him for who he really was. His power, his beauty, his love. His grace, his mercy. And so in light of that, this overwhelming need, this overwhelming move in her heart was to say, yes, everything I have is yours. In light of that kind of love, in kind of that kind of mercy, my most valuable gift is yours. Now for some, some believe that this 
would have been what entices a husband to marry her. I know it sounds weird to say it this way, but if this is her inheritance and it's something that valuable, she, this is hers, she can do with it what she wants, that means she has financial wealth, she has assets, if you will. And that could have been what would have driven a man to marry her, been like, ooh, you have, you know, you have that kind of wealth. You have something that you can bring to the table in a relationship. She was willing to give up her desire even for a right, a good match in marriage. Those of you who are single, I throw this as a complete sidebar, caveat kind of tangent. But she was willing to give up her status of husband seeking for this. Do you guys see what I'm saying? This is her love, her, her, her passionate overflow of who Jesus is because she knew him, because she met him, because she understood who he, what he did, what he's done for her, because she was overwhelmed by his beauty. She did something beautiful. The start of something beautiful is by you understanding and seeing who Jesus is. There's nothing that will deepen your love and response to Jesus more than a simple act of seeing and identifying what he's done for you. Maybe you now just need to meditate on that. As you look and see his great providence, his mercy in your life, how he's brought you here thus far. His everyday mercies that are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And then your full heart will spontaneously act to show love in return. That is beautiful. Lesson two. Doing something beautiful for Jesus is ultimately an act of worship. Doing something beautiful for Jesus is ultimately an act of worship. We can offer many things to Jesus, but perhaps the most beautiful thing we have to offer is our worship. Clearly what God loves is a heart of worship. What Jesus loves is a heart that loves him in worship, in adoration. Mary responds here that you can see what she does on the outside is simply a reflection of her heart. No one would accuse her of just going through the motions, right? No one would accuse her of just externally just kind of saying that wasn't what wasn't in her heart. Instead, she externally verbalized. She externally showed what was already happening in her heart. Guys, can I say this to you? Every one of us, every one of you, you worship something. We were made that way. Our hearts worship. Whether it's a football team, a job, money, material things, your wife, your husband, your children, you worship something. You do. Your hearts were made for it. And what's beautiful is when you ultimately act in worship for the one creator God, the one Jesus that you were made to worship. The one that deserves all worship. The best part of worship is when our heart simply overflows in love to Jesus. Making something beautiful about being a worshiper. Three, doing something beautiful is costly to us. Part of what makes this story powerful is if this perfume costed five cents, you'd be like, oh, yay, good job. You know, part of what's beautiful is that she was willing to give everything. It was all that she had. She was willing to give it all to God. And as we receive the benefits of Jesus' grace, we, we didn't earn them. We didn't work for them. They were a gift to us. But what we see is that what makes something beautiful is when we give something sacred to us. Because what, how do you put worth on something? By what you're willing to endure to get it. Right? What is what's something worth to you? When we say something's worth so much money, it's $50,000. Well, the, the money is just a, it's just a number. Right? But if you had to save, if you had to, to I wanted Jordans when I was a kid. <laughs> Desperately. 
loved Jordans. And my parents, there was no way I could ever have had Jordans. You know, shoes were not a luxury my parents were willing to spend on, especially as a kid, because your feet grow so fast, right? It was just like, <laughs> parents know. But I wanted, I was that kid, everybody had Jordans, it was a thing to do, and I was like, I want Jordans so bad, and they were like almost $100. And at that time, $100 for shoes were like, are you kidding me? I wanted them so bad. So man, I saved. I swept, I mowed, I did everything, I did all that I could. I saved and saved and saved and saved. And I had enough money to pay for half. So my par- I told my parents, I said, Mom, Dad, Christmas, birthdays for the next million years of my life. I just need these Jordans. Don't ever give me another present. I just want these Jordans. So they finally said yes. I got these Jordans. And for some reason, I had to buy the ugliest Jordans ever. They're, they're the ones with the two Velcros that went across. It was just ugly. But those are the ones I had. I thought they were the most beautiful things in the world. I polished those things every day. I, if somebody like scuffed them, I'd be like, no! I love those things. I love those joys because, guys, I worked so hard to get them. I loved them. Guys, doing something beautiful takes sacrifice because sacrifice places value, doesn't it? What you're willing to do, what you're willing to give places value on something. You know, it doesn't cost me anything to throw a penny at somebody. Oh my God, here's a penny. It doesn't cost me anything. There's not much value in that. But when I lovingly give my time, which I consider so valuable, that's different, isn't it? Doing something beautiful is costly to us. What we see is how beautiful this was because Mary was willing to give the most expensive, her sacrifice everything. For doing something beautiful for Jesus often seems crazy to others. Doing something beautiful often seems crazy to others. Here's Mary in this story, and people were like, what, what a waste. They were indignantly, it says in the ESV, right? Is that the word you use, indignantly? Why this waste? They could have been sold, and they rebuked her harshly. They thought she was nuts. What are you doing? Why give all of it? Guys, can I tell you that there are times in our lives when God's calling you to do something, and it might seem crazy, but man, it is beautiful. There might be a time in your life when God's calling you to go to that country and your parents are looking at you and you're saying, they're saying, uh-uh, what are you doing? There may be times in your life when you're called to serve in that place or you to live in such a way or to give in such a way. Maybe to sell that house that you've worked so hard for. And there are times when God's calling you and you have to move and the world might say, what are you doing? You're crazy. But doing something beautiful often takes It often has the world looking at you like you're nuts, but it is the right decision for God. I bet you people looked at Mother Teresa and said, you're not wearing shoes. You're working amongst the poorest of the poor. You're giving your life, your your singleness, everything. You must be crazy. And she can now look and say, this is beautiful for Jesus. Guys, can I tell you this? Can I tell you this? Please hear me very well. That doing something beautiful takes sacrifice. And it might seem nuts, but can you just imagine hearing Jesus say, this is beautiful to me. This is beautiful to me. 
What does it mean for us? It means that we should allow our love for Jesus to spill over into ways that are natural and spontaneous even. That instead of worrying about what others think, be like David and just dance in the streets. And his wife is like, yo, you're the king. What are you doing? You can't be dancing like that. And he says, I'll be even more undignified than this. Doing something beautiful, Jesus, might look crazy to others, but we are willing to listen to the Spirit move and to guide us and to live in such a way that looks foreign and looks crazy and looks nuts, dancing in such a way that looks undignified to others. But our hearts overflow, can't help it. We live in such a way that looks crazy to others. Five, doing something beautiful for Jesus is our greatest legacy. It's remarkable that Jesus makes this statement. He says, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I mean, what a legacy this lady's left, right? What a legacy that even now we're hearing this story. 2,000 years later, we're hearing her legacy. You guys, doing something beautiful is a legacy that will last forever. Can I tell you this? That the amount of money you had in your bank account... The amount of vacations you took is not a legacy that will last forever. Can I tell you this? That the amount of stuff that you accumulated is not a legacy that will last forever. But doing beautiful things for Jesus, that's a legacy that will last. I always say this, that the human condition is this, that human beings, we all want to be known, we all want to be loved, but I also say this part that we kind of always miss out on is we also crave and yearn for purpose. Purpose that is eternal, Purpose that is fulfilling, purpose that we know will not fade away. And what we see is when we do something beautiful for Jesus, we see us living in purpose. And in purpose, you see that as eternal significance. When we see somebody affected, when we see those who, who've never known Jesus come to know Jesus, when we see their eternal souls affected, when we see his eternal kingdom advancing, we know that you've done something beautiful for Jesus. His kingdom advances, his will is being done. That has eternal significance, and that is beautiful. Guys, can I tell you, in my heart, I really believe this, that God is doing something beautiful here. I look at the way most of you live your life, and I see so often, I feel like, can I just, okay, I'm just going to say this. The past few days, I was at a network retreat for Summit Network Pastors. So these are all pastors in the Summit Network who planted churches together. So all the pastors were together, and we're all just talking. And one of the things that, it's kind of like a common thing that you just ask somebody, like, how's your church you doing? What's going on in your church? How's your church going, right? And you can hear, like, some people, like, it's almost one of those awkward questions, like, how do you answer that question, Right? Some people could be like, oh, I mean, it's been great. We've got like a 1,000 people. Some people are like, oh, it's great. We've seen this happen. Oh, it's great. Our budget looks great. Whatever it may be, there's so many different ways to, to answer that question. And so I remember the first time I was asked that question, I was just kind of like, I don't, just don't know how to answer that question. I don't, I don't. I was like, I just don't know how to answer that question. The second time that I was asked that question, I was just kind of like, you know, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say this. I'm just going to say this. And I just said, how's the church going? And I'm like, guys. Our people love Jesus, and they're doing something beautiful. See, I was working on this sermon at the time, so <laughs> the answer was coming out. And I was just, I just sat there, and I just, that's what I was able to say. I said, our people love Jesus, and they're doing something beautiful. I just want to say thank you that I get to have that answer. 
Because I see the way you guys are living your life, and I see the way you're sacrificially giving. I see the way that your life is an overflow of your love for Jesus. I see the way that you don't care what the people say around you, that they think you're nuts for living there, or doing that, or selling that, or, or doing something like that. I see the legacy that you're leaving. I see how costly it is. I see how it's an act of worship for you. And I say, yes, they're doing something beautiful for Jesus. And I want to challenge you. I want to ask you to continue to live in such a manner. Because here's a challenge. Here's the problem. As, as life happens, it's easier to, you know, to kind of forget. I don't care if you're 20. I don't care if you're 50. I don't care if you're 90. The call is still the same. May we do something beautiful to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've loved us in such a way that, that our hearts just overflow in worship for you. God, that you've loved us in such a manner, God, that by your grace and love that we get to act as worship for you and we can live out that love and worship to you. God, thank you that you're making something beautiful out of us. Here's the amazing thing, God. We are doing beautiful things to you, but it's only because you're making a beautiful work out of us. How incredible is that? All we're doing is we're responding to your great love for us, changing our hearts, and making beautiful things out of us. Thank you for making something beautiful. And we see, God, by your work on the cross, God, you've made a beautiful thing out of us. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.